Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. I got into like this. I was more of like a solo mission kind of guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing all like the, yeah, the again, the solo missiony stuff, like the really easy one. You got. You were yanking your own string. Witch's broom right oh here. I was yanking my own God. string in fifth grade. Like very cool image, Harry. Very awesome. Yeah, uh, thanks. Yeah. It's from the movie. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Well, that's different. Cody, context. can I get that again? <laughs> can I get that again on camera? I don't oh, think you're so. Gonna, you're about to get a better one. So there's Slightly a different. cat whiskers. If I stop here, if I keep going, we get into. Uh, oh shit! Hold on. The string is old, and it's also very yeah, it small for my fingies. <laughs> um, that's also wow so that's disgusting it's visual, not a visual medium but so this yeah this is riveting podcasting holy so, shit that's incredible oh my god i'm trying that's so hard impressive. to get to you twitter guys can't in time see this, but this. this is the you will be able to this see is this like this the talent show portion yeah uh, no kidding i'm taking screenshots and i'm tweeting i'll ask you to bring it back up in a sec cody I haven't introduced this, but this is yet another film that introduces how before the advent of the internet how people are able to entertain themselves which with what is essentially just a trick that takes two seconds to show someone, but it will... It's, it's like, pretty cool. I guess we're just looking at the string for an afternoon. Or you could just torture insects. Sure. That was the other torture big insects. pastime. Either <laughs> and or both. Sex, uh, sure. Yeah, sure. there's a lot of Shoot that. Same time. Shoot yeah. wine barrels and bathe in the wine, uh, which sounds like maybe that the, like... fun. It sounds fun. It also sounds like like the least sanitary experience of your life. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, imagine where their lives imagine at this time. wine touching your genitals. <laughs> I, I mean, you, it's probably cleaner than their usual. Oh that, yeah, that's not a bad point. Chance yeah. that's cleaner <laughs> yeah. than the Yeah, that's mean? not a bad point. Yeah. Like, because it's at least sort of like fermented. And, there's some yeah. sort of alcohol that, that right. is, I guess, maybe killing some sort of germs Bacteria, or something. Right. Well, God knows they got enough germs to kill on those bad boys. I mean, True. imagine Warren Oates' crotch in this movie. On those wild boys. Oh. I'm not going to do that, but... I mean, why not? I command, I command you now to imagine Warren Oates' penis right before my eyes. Did we get Warren Oates on the soundboard for this one? Or, or no soundboard? Wild Gorch. Gorch, which is a word itself, which has some sort in, of sexual in, connotations. Imagine coming up with the name Gorch. Uh, what is his brother's name? She lie on my Gorch. Teton Gorch or something like that? That's um, uh, Lyle, Lyle and Tector. Tector yeah. Gorch. Imagine Tector coming Gorch. up with that yeah, name. The, like that's yeah. the kind of thing you do with once in your life, and you guys, you, yeah, you, you would just, just have take, a lifetime. Take the like, rest of salary. the day off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's oh like Gorch's. Yes. One of those names of somebody who like writes articles for like the Brookings Institute, who like clearly is some <laughs> sort of a robot. He's like, right. this, this is a lab grown creature. This is not a human being, you know? Tector Gorge writing for the Harvard Business Review on why uh, austerity is good, actually. On my means testing. <laughs> and you're like, who, the, come back who again. the fuck is Tector Gorge? And then you look it up <laughs> and about, it's like, oh, his dad Deke? owns like. Yeah, Deke is yes. good too. There's the a lot of really good names in this. Yeah. Pike, is that Dutch? Pike is good. I, 
those are I mean, classic Western names to me. All really great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and even even the one that that's Freddie, it sounds like, oh, Freddie, that's okay. His last name's Sykes. Sykes. Like, they get they get you in the second half with that one. Yeah. A real psych moment. Uh, yeah, you could. I don't know. You could shoot wine barrels. You could have sex, or you could listen to podcasts like this one. Thank you very much. That's right. It's Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw, people we met, Warren Oates' penis, and other things at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. Um, I think you all need a bath, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison, and being sure is my business. Being sure is my business. Being sure is my business. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. How'd you like to kiss my sister's black cat's asshole? And you can find, I'm Harry Mackin, first of all. Uh, <laughs> my sister is Charlie. Her cat is Soots. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Soots is a great cat, but I would like to not do that, I think. I'm, I'm going to abstain. Oh, yeah? uh, my name is Aaron. Uh, Jason, the next time you mention Warren Oates' penis, I'm going to ride off and let you die. Uh, but for everybody else, <laughs> <laughs> you play Return of the Mac quick. Sorry. Thank you. And you can find me on Twitter at RB, please. Why don't you uh, be a cat's asshole, by the way? Wasn't it just ass? <laughs> I don't know. I, guess, I was just uh, a, sort of editorializing. Or notes penis. <laughs> sure. we're, really, we're getting too specific. We're really a little too brain with it. Our usual fare is a little bit more uh, family-friendly than this. Um, I will say off the top, uh, I, I've been contractually obligated to mention that I'm on another podcast coming up this Friday. Um, it's Ooh. Blake Hester and AJ Moser started a podcast about various uh, underseen and uh, rarely available movies called Region Free. They had me on to talk about the movie 964 Pinocchio. Check that out when it comes out. Subscribe wherever you, I guess, we get podcasts. I'll find a, uh, put a link in the show notes. That is it for plugging on this show. Except to say, go see this movie at the Trilon if you can. It's playing as part of the series uh, brought to life by Ernest Borgnine. Um, that's playing every weekend in April of 2023. Also featuring Emperor of the North, Marty, and the Poseidon Adventure. Um, get tickets at Trilon.org. Coincidentally, this is a Sam Peckinpah movie playing as part of like a non-Sam Peckinpah series. But there is one of those in May. Get tickets to that as well. There's a link in the show notes. Um, Aaron, uh, save me. Uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, – actually, you know, I, I will save you actually by asking a question to the gang first that will smoothly lead in, like kind of like a shitty AP like question response. You know what I mean? Uh, what? How many Westerns have we covered before? I can think of one Western that we have covered off the top of my head. Feels like kind of a, a blind spot, wow. I feel. I thought of that while watching. Yeah, I was – Which Western did you home. think of? McCabe yeah. and Mrs. Miller. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm. I cannot think of another Western. I can think of Western-inspired cinema, you know what I mean? But like, I can think of Westerns I've seen. Yeah, no, we don't care. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good uh, question, though. Good I mean, I saw all three of the Dollars Trilogy, I think, at the Trilon, but I don't think we recorded on any we of We didn't those. cover them. Yeah. No. I don't know that we have, which is wild because also, that, yeah. like, remember when Dan was on for Dan's Detours and he was like, hey, how many horror movies have you guys covered? And we were like, oh, four. And he was like, two. Actually, yeah. 29. <laughs> and we were like, like 75. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. So we may have actually covered thousands of Westerns and we just don't. Yeah, this, we just I don't. Mean, this, totally, yeah. Yeah. I don't some really sort of have a lot of object permanence. Unknowing so, expert. On yeah. Western. Anyway, the, the point is, well, we're, we're, I guess, making our... Uh, triumphant we're back home the baby genre <laughs> oh that's that. right yeah sure um we are covering the wild bunch 1969 film directed by sam peckinpah uh the film is uh kind of and arguably peckinpah's most generally famous film uh is generally regarded as one of the uh kind of great westerns one of the greatest westerns uh, of all time 
film follows Pike Bishop, uh, played by William Holden. Uh, it also follows his gang of outlaws in 1913's Texas. Uh, South Texas uh, is the beginning of the 20th century, slowly brings an end to this kind of image of the Wild West. Uh, the gang meets up, meets up with an officer in the Mexican Federal Army, uh, General Bapache, played by Emilio Fernandez, um, after a previous robbery attempt goes wrong. Their plan is to assist Mapache in stealing a shipment of guns from the U.S. Army in exchange for enough money for the entire gang to kind of go on their separate ways and retire peacefully. This is complicated, however, by the presence of Deke Thornton, played by Robert Ryan, uh, an ex-associate of Pikes who travels with a group of bounty hunters hired by uh, kind of this large railroad company to track down and kill Pike and his gang. Uh, also in Pike's gang and of note, are the following actors whose characters we've already made fun of so far. Ernest Borgnine playing Dutch Engstrom, uh, Edmund O'Brien playing Freddie Sykes, Warren Oates and his penis playing Lyle Gorch, Ben Johnson playing Tector Gorch, and Jamie Sanchez playing Angel. Uh, there's a lot of whole, whole lot of context around this film that is important, but we'll talk about it uh, on the episode. So Jason, I'll volley back. Yeah, Volley, but thank you. Uh, Betty yeah, from Shuttlecock, thank or you. Hit it or um, this movie, I forgot how this movie starts. I watched it for the f- first time maybe a year, year and a half ago with a uh, guest of the podcast, Testerati. We uh, just scratched it off of our watch lists. Um, I forgot how this movie starts and how like resonant it is with the ending as well. Um, it, of course, it's like for Westerns, it's pretty like straight up fair like just foreground the theme of the movie in in the first scene but like i did not remember how uncomfortable it made me to see just bugs squirming writhing killing each other in the dirt uh and how scorpions are arthropods sorry i'm sorry thank you uh arthropods and um and other insects killing each other uh interspecies uh inter at what at what level of the animal kingdom do they separate harry between it's a sort of bats or bugs Calvin Hobbes situation. Yeah, yeah. right. See, I don't get the Calvin Hobbes reference. That the, well, one's a human, one's bugs. a tiger or something, or in a tiger suit. No, um, he has, he no, has like, a class project on bats, and he says they're bugs, and of course everybody else, they're not bugs. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> you think that Hobbes is a man in a tiger suit? Is I've that never what known, you just I've said? Never, I've never known if it was supposed to be a, t- a real tiger on pure. Sure, like or... Some sort of cultural osmosis. No, Hobbes no, it's is like imaginary. He has like a little. Thanks, Cody. This kid is just hanging out with a man in a tiger. Some sort of oh yeah, it's way tiger. weirder to think than a than a than a bipedal than tiger that can speak. Yeah, than a, than a beautiful pervert. comic book about just... the power of a child's imagination. Anyway, it's creepy. What a wild yeah, bunch! Continue, yeah, what, what 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 a tangent. Uh, this has been um, like it, it reminded me how just like yucky this movie is supposed to be and how yucky it makes you feel or can make you feel i guess a lot of this stuff is dulled by just the age the just the decades of filmmaking and of i guess violence in movies but i think it's important to note like the brain i'll never be able to have for this movie is like oh yeah this is incredible violence this is like really over the top for its time 1969 the stylization of it the slow-mo the quick cutting all that kind of stuff the way that it's presented the way that like different characters enacted on on other characters innocence is just kind of thrown out the window it's a peck and pot thing but like yeah there was like a moral panic about this movie right right because people were like oh like you can't have violence this significant in right like major movies like this many squibs and this many innocents and like this widespread of violence like an entire town just kind of getting slaughtered for uh you know a couple pounds of what ends up being steel washers like just 
how well that first scene makes me feel yucky and how over the course of the movie I am challenged to feel like, oh, camaraderie and the value of, uh, you know, like building trust among people who are inherently distrustful. And then always with that underlying sense of like, well, there's a certain tension here, a certain like you're on a rope bridge that will be that is burning at some end. Uh, there's just this incredible discomfort that runs through it that I did not think of the first time going in because I had like this preconception of oh it's a western it's sam peck and pie it's going to be gritty but you know what is it really going to be more open mind now that i have lenses on it second time through way more like oh this is actually uh try this is terrifying and tragic uh more than it's like swashbuckling you know it is kind of wildly subversive how like and sorry this is just a minor tangent but like the the movie will do things like the first scene that you did which really subverts any sense that there are like uh traditional honorable protagonist to root for in this movie and then it'll do some more conventional filmmaking things to make you start to sort of like uh sympathize and then it like but every time it does that it immediately like counters with like for instance in the last scene of this movie when our main character just grabs a woman to use as a human shield who is then ripped apart by bullets (laughs) because he let us hear it for women (laughs) that doesn't have to be a short degree. I think that kind of ties in nicely. With, oh, absolutely. With yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. here's, here's the thing. This, this movie is like super violent and I'm sure that like those scenes of violence were like very impactful at the time, but like maybe this is me like overthinking it, but it feels like just like the overall like cynicism and like nihilism uh, present in this film is kind of like actually the core of it that kind of is the most striking, right? Where like, this this film like very much was like a commentary and like all of the shots of like the little kids like looking on the cowboys were like very much commentary on like America's involvement in Vietnam, right? Appar- like, apparently like changing ten minutes. media culture. I'm really glad that we brought this up this early because yeah, I think yeah. that like this is What's like up, definitely a Vietnam movie. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. like and, and he said that. I, I just wanted to point out like apparently the director's cut extended edition, I'm not sure what just playing at the trial line because we're recording ahead of time. That's the one I watched <laughs> I, as, as well. On, on HBO Max. Go watch it if you're not able to get to the trial line. Uh, apparently that has and most theatrical releases these days have about ten minutes of restored footage from like the original theatrical run that include mostly shots of kids that were like either deemed yeah which, acceptable which for how do you how do you cut or, that out of this movie right. like children and, and are people, so important in this movie exactly so anyway i just wanted to interject there's like that wasn't maybe seen or understood the first time this movie was really seen in 69 and you know and sex subsequent years it's only in like the last 30 years that they've really started like focusing on that as a release of the movie anyway go ahead yeah so th- that is all like just to kind of add up to a point that I guess is like, it seems like the moral panic over this film is like more of a moral panic over kind of the, the, uh, I don't know, the, the like kind of slightly dreamier image of this, uh, of America in general. And like its ties to the wild West as this kind of idealistic past in this manner, kind of like crumbling down. Right. And it, I don't know, it, it can feel like kind of, uh, making macro statements like that can kind of feel like cheating, especially decades in the future, but it does kind of feel like that is what people maybe were actually upset about. Right. Uh, and like maybe extent. very specifically just the fact that like our protagonists are not free. I mean, this is basically a clockwork orange, the Western, right. In, in the sense that like the individual actors are about as terrible as they could possibly be, but they still pale in comparison to the capacity for violence that the state possesses. Yes, exactly. Um, but, but like, 
that being said, like we spend time with the individual actors, right? Because that's how stories work. <laughs> and so we watch a two and a half hour movie in which uh, pretty much inarguably the most morally upstanding character, Angel, still uh, murders a woman uh, with a, his gun because she is mocking his manhood, yeah. right? <laughs> that is exactly correct. There, There is like the the point that you mentioned about like, the individual actions here kind of paling in comparison to these like larger forces at play, I think is like kind of the main thing for me that I I took away from it here is that like, and I think a lot of Westerns that are set kind of in this period, right? Like 1913, like the, the wild West, just pretend I'm always using scare quotes here because there's like so much baggage with this genre that I don't want to make like a bunch of like, statements at the beginning of every single statement I make, right? But like a lot of films that are like commenting on the end of the Wild West and like specifically commenting on the Western as a genre, especially this film, 1969, kind of near, not like the end of like Westerns being released, but certainly a film that is like commenting on the history of Westerns as like a media product, right? Um, Are very concerned with like how the like s- cementing of these kind of governmental structures and the, the government as like this larger player in an area uh, of the United States that was formerly, it was kind of like absent due to geographic reasons and a bunch of other reasons, but like how that like just causes this like very slow death for like all of the players in the West that formerly were able to like escape that kind of oversight. Um, and I've always found that like, maybe the most fascinating themes like in Westerns at like, like set within this specific period. Like, I don't know. It's really fast. Again, it's crazy. We've never talked about these. Films yeah. This podcast no, before. I, and that's, that really gets at the heart of why I think this movie works for me as well as it does is because usually I, can only sort of ride with movies like that to a point, right? Because like the romanticism of the closing of the West is always sort of like about how like, oh, like it's impossible for men to be like this anymore. And isn't that sad, right? And like, what I love about this movie is like, it's not sad, except that uh, the the type and style of violence that is being written into the world as a consequence of the closing of the West is so much more awful and inescapable even than what preceded it, right? It's like a nihilist movie in like the world. It's, it's really, like I said, it's like a Vietnam movie. It's sort of like, hey, like we are now entering the 20th century, which will be, and now that we're in 1969, we can say this a sort of like unending horror show of international imperialism imposed by Western powers upon the rest of the world. And like in that specific context, the sort of end of this idea uh, of the West and of this idea that like there are people and individuals who are able to sort of like put one in the eye of these powers that, that like that there was a way to sort of escape uh, your complicity within this sort of like unending horror show that is the ending that we are particularly sort of like uh, nostalgic or sentimental about and like that is something I can get behind right is this idea that like oh we are quickly approaching this sort of like the death uh, of the even potential that individual actors can depose a state right and like that is something worth being scared about because it's like well what happens then and in this movie's opinion it's like well like what happens is 
you lose your capacity to do anything except for uh, either like live in a childlike defiance of the state and be killed for it or submit to the state and become a part of the horrors that it is unleashing on everything around it, right? Yes, I th- I th- like the usual criticism that I think I like generally agree with, although maybe it dulls my enjoyment of, of kind of shitty genre Westerns, uh, is that like, the viewpoint that is being idolized here uh, of like the cowboy in the wild west wild west is like generally a pretty i guess what you might identify as like libertarian now right but it is at the very least like this kind of individualistic uh personal philosophy uh about you know being a man and your word and honor and whatnot um and like there are like points here and there that I think are kind of interesting uh, uh, in that regard. But I think like the thing that this film is doing that like transcends it uh, kind of above a lot of that stuff is that this film is, I think, saying that like any sort of individual philosophy is not able to survive in this new environment. Like it does not matter what it is, right? You can be Pike, you can be Angel, you can be whoever you want. Any sort of individual player at that like smaller scope has like no hope of and like very specifically because of how powerful capital and imperialism have become right because like now there there are world superpowers that are just so insanely powerful and evil and uninterested in the well-being of the people around them that individual actors and philosophies have no bearing over it players that are like all the way back here that we glimpse very briefly you know the railroad owner basically right or or the Mexican government who we never re- we see a representative yeah. of yes well that's what i was going to say is like i think it is married alongside that idea of like the death of the wild west again scare quotes um the death of the wild west like how how so many pieces of media set in that time focus on like men who are emblematic of the way things used to be you know sort of succumbing to uh, either new way or like being protective of a new way like they go into uh, my apologies for any sound in the background it's a nice day in minneapolis and i've got my window a little bit open uh they're they're like not um in this movie i think it's uh it, it's the main we'll call them like the main uh group of the bunch or the main people in the bunch The we've got pike and dutch and sykes like sort of the old guard types and maybe uh lyle and and uh tector are uh, you know, part of the younger group of maybe by maybe 10 years or so. And then obviously on hell is like the, uh, by all like measures, sort of the outsider he's brought into group, brought into the group from like a different part of the world. He's brought in from a different generation. And he is the one that is like most obviously like he, he, he is the center of the locus of their, of how they, that the rest of the group sort of changes how they feel about this. Like they're in it to get money. They're in it to get a score and get out, and they um they have uh they end up like sort of their desire to get paid by Mapache. I'm moving forward in the plot, but their desire to get paid by Mapache after the first uh bank run goes goes bad, and their sort of like loyalty to um to Angel are then obviously at odds. It's the main like plot conflict of the film, but it has this resonant sort of conflict in the old sort of being protective of or sentimental of the new in, in the way that I saw it. I don't know if that's like the way that it was intended to be, but by the end, the way that Pike gives up, excuse me, doesn't like he, he decides we're not just going to stay on the Mapache payroll. We're going to sort of like th- there's the March toward the end, the very final uh, scene um, and the bloody climactic shootout. They have this like inherent um, 
I guess, sense of self-conflict where they can't decide if they, well, they end up deciding, but they like have the fact, I guess I'm getting around, like really dancing around the point, but the fact that they have any conflict about that at all is to me, like they had no idea that these systems of power, like how far they really went. They did not have an idea of the political landscape of uh, Mexico before they went, before they met somebody who was emblematic of it, who was like, could be, could embody that for them. And then they could learn to care about that person and therefore could learn to care by extension about his struggle as, you know, somebody fighting against the systems of power there. Um, And they were, again, like they've had their fun. They have had their time, as you said, Harry, to be like actively standing up against an oppressive system uh, that is that, you know, their their ability to challenge power is now gone. They're old men, but they see his ability to challenge power is still there. Like he is forfeiting his share of the gold for, uh, you know, just one case of guns and ammo for his uh, for his village to stand up against um, the local, you know, uh, systems of power. And that is where they start to. I guess that's where change happens in these characters. Uh, you know, they, they've got their own conflicts. They've got their own like self doubts and guilts, but really what makes them, what leads to their like some sense of change, at least in the way I was watching it, the some sense of change and some sense of like um, forward motion, some sense of self-sacrifice is really just centered around on how was I, am I off base in thinking that that's like where the, the, the center of their uh, like emotional pull comes from in this movie? No, not at all. Um, at least in my reading, but uh, I think that that lines r- up really well with like one of my main readings of the movie about the children, right, and the motif of children. And and it's worth noting that Anhil's um like village elder said what I think is maybe like the key line of dialogue in the entire movie, which is that like everyone wants to be wants to return to a time when we were children, maybe the worst of us most of all. Um, I think that that is sort of like the keystone for reading these characters who are all children, right? Like the wild bunch are like arrested development. Like they literally want to play cowboys and Indians. And like that is, that informs everything that they do. Um, I I don't necessarily agree that like, I don't think the wild bunch ever actually gave a shit about the Mexican revolution. Um, even as on Hill died, I think they were doing it for much more sort of like limited scope reasoning, but in a similar sense, right. That like, I think on Hill represents this sort of like childlike idealism that is only ever replaced by this sort of like blanketing pessimism about the ability to change anything, the ability to be good people that the wild bunch are sort of like in their own uh, rugged individual ways, attempting to uh, not, not even oppose, but just sort of like um, defer, right? It's sort of like they are living in this, like Don Quixote lifestyle where they can still be like the badass sort of like outlaw heroes that they think of themselves as from um, like, like Western stories, right? Even though they're getting old. And I think there's that clarifying moment at the end of the movie where they realize, right? It's sort of like that, this lifestyle that like this idea that we have of ourselves as these people who can be truly quote unquote free in the sense that we can actually like live as we want to live and uh, oppose anybody who would stop us from living that way. This is coming to an end. Therefore, like we have, it's, it's a very like samurai like ending, right? Where it's like, either we can like live in compromise or we can die as ourselves one last time. And so they choose to sort of like live up to this, they die for their ideals, right? In the end, ironically, right? Okay. Even though like they sort of lived by trading on the idea that they had any ideals at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like still, 
to sort of protect this idea that like like what we're doing here is something right like we are protecting this idea of ourselves we're protecting this like ability to live in self-determination in individual philosophies like aaron said that is worth dying for at the end of this movie right and in my opinion yeah i i think that's pretty well said um yeah i mean in all the ways that this movie like it it demystifies the romanticism that comes with and i don't know that uh, i or any of us are nece- necessarily experts in the genre scare quotes across the board etc cetera, etc cetera. but um you know the the old west and westerns as like a means of telling these kinds of stories like the the fact that this film is bookended with two vi- uh, sequences of very extreme violence um and the fact that there are these um you know overarching power structures in play um uh like making it uh, sort of nullifying any sort of individual squabbles that may take place on a more micro level in this movie or any other movie they pale in comparison to the you know the powers that the state have and that is sort of like a numbing humbling thing that feeds into this as is the fact that there's um consistent persistent reminders of how like we are approaching the end of of something, our lives are, you know, this particular era, this movement in time. Um, and if, in case that's not textually obvious, uh, the poster for this movie does a really good job of that as well. It's, um, especially like in, you know, accordance with the movie, it's like, it's a, an ex, I think an extraordinary poster. It's one that I really like. It's a group of men. You don't see their faces just like facing this ominous pale blue abyss like, um, plane. It's like, it's really wild, um, and super cool, but yeah, I mean, I can't help but, but feel like this, um, the titular wild bunch, um, you know, they, they would maybe, they would maybe play this a little bit differently. They're sort of tiptoeing around the inevitability that is like, this is the capital E end of like, whatever that may mean, uh, for any of them individually or, or as a group. Um, but like, despite the fact that there are that, um, you know, the state is as powerful as it is. Like they come to realize that there is some semblance of individual humanity and like morality and ethics that is still like important and worth dying for, despite them being so like aloof and non-committal uh, and very violent uh, throughout the course of the film. Um, maybe it has to do with their, maybe it has to do with their connection with Angel as a character um, and his like community slash settlement, or, you know, maybe the, however much that, plays uh into and or you know again in accordance with the fact that like they're they're only going to have so much time to cherish these environments that we get this extended farewell sequence with on hell's like community or, or settlement or, or whatever you want to call it where it like really sinks in that you know any time in any of these movies that a group of these like grizzled gunslingers leave a place like this is like you don't know if you're ever going to come back and see this you know beautiful place again and that that sort of thing is I don't know. That was a scene that stuck with me and like feeding into the end. It's like, well, we, we owe on hell or somebody something somewhere in some way. And like, maybe this is, you know, that way of like coming to terms with our um, particular end. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's what all, that's what this discourse makes me think of anyway. That's a really good point, Cody. What I really love about this story is that it's like a really sad extended coming of age story in a way. Right. And sort of like a, uh, a, 
a story about resisting coming of age. Like I really, I read the wild bunch as, as guys who are living in a childhood fantasy, who know that that childhood fantasy is ending and who want to resist it as much as possible because they don't know what comes next, or they don't think they have a place in what comes next. Right. Like these are rebels without a cause, right? They have some like, uh, animosity against the state, but they can't really point to it, right? They don't, with the exception of Angel, they don't really have a competing ideology. They just know they're not going to live under anybody's thumbs. And they're just sort of like fleeing from place to place, trying to eck out this like centralized, individualized rebellion for themselves as that becomes increasingly impossible. And by the end of this movie, it's finally sort of like, well, like there is no sideline anymore, right? Like you, there's only sort of joining. Uh, there, there's no fence sitting anymore, or there's, there's no escape from the sort of like globalized version of, uh, quote unquote, good versus evil, right? It, it's sort of like there, there's no place for anybody else anymore. Um, and they have to finally like commit one way or the other. And, and they, you know, they, um, I mean, I read the ending as sort of a more hopeful commitment. Uh, maybe that's not it's super in keeping, but it's it's mostly about how the end of this, right? It's mostly about the end of this idea of um, childhood for the world and for the idea that you can be somebody who is untouched by and unsort of molested by the powers that are oppressing you. Do those things happen at the same time? And bear with me, like, does the realization that, like, their power is waning happen when they start communicating that? Because like, there are some pretty, I'm forgetting the exact lines, but they talked pretty specifically and, like, pretty frankly about, like, it's the end of something, times aren't what they used to be kind of language. Pike in particular has some lines about that when he's talking with Dutch right after the failed um, robbery. But if they're acting in such a way as to like actually like have it absorbed that only by the end of the movie, by the time that they're like, you know, again, going back for on hell, they are um, like, you know, indignant. They're no longer just in it for themselves to get one last thing, but they've been talking for a long time. They've been like predicating this whole thing on the concept of this is the last time we get to do this because the law, like the system is growing too wide. It is becoming too powerful. Um, even like people like us who live on the margins, the margins will be eased out and we will no longer like there will be no space for us right now. There's only space for us where we can hide. We will not be able to hide anywhere any longer. Are those two things happening at the same time for these characters or are they like, is it they've been talking about it sort of like showboating, boasting about like it's the end of it. We're like the last guard. Everybody will get one last show. And then finally, somewhere along the line, whether it's with on hell or whatever other like thing sort of propels them that finally they start to get that. Anybody have any thoughts? Yeah, about that? no, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I think that like there's there's this sort of like repeated sense that that um there are sacrifices that have to be made for every instance of escaping, right? Escaping the sort of like consequences of falling down on, on one side or the other. They continually make those choices, right? Like they, they abandon on Hill a couple of times. They, um, they sell guns to Mapache, even though that's a like objectively fucking horrible thing to do. Um, they, uh, you know, and and like finally, it's it's one bridge too far, right? And it's be, it's because like there's this, like you had said, there's this individual actor which they can actually sort of observe, right? It's like they fought with Angel, they love Angel, he's one of them, and finally, sort of like giving him up is a bridge too far. 
um, and they have to sort of like commit to the final consequences of at least this one thing that they were, right? It, it was either sort of like betray the fact that the Wild Bunch didn't stand for anything or let it end and have it be this thing that stood for something. And they choose that. This is a film about a, a bunch of fellas realizing that if even one dude is not rocking, then none of the dudes are rocking. That's right. We cannot have <laughs> just we cannot have ninety percent of the dudes rocking. Then none of us are rocking. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, like it's it, that, but communism. <laughs> it's yeah, all for one and one for all, but about dudes rocking and also yeah, killing. I do. I do love the part where Warren Oates is like. I want to rock simply more than the guy who just wants the goats, who just watches the goats and 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 horses. And Pike's like, "You're gonna rock We're just as much rock. as the rest of them." Listen, that guy, right. he's earned his rocking. That um, guy does rock too. <laughs> Sykes, he. Oh rocks. yeah, oh, he's yeah. great. Real unfair to throw dynamite in while he's shitting. Can you? Imagine? I would probably have died. I don't know if I would have scooped down quick yeah, enough to get it's that pretty, dynamite. It's pretty rough. And then pretty he mean. says that you won't get the chance to dry gulch me. And then he says, "We'll see." Yeah, <laughs> he says he's gonna. They're gonna dry gulch each other. What are they talking <laughs> they about? They did. I guess they did. They, didn't, they did not get the chance to to dry gulch. Who got yeah. the last laugh here. Yeah, literally, because the they literally spend the end of the movie with Sykes laughing. Um, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's it's sort of a. a really played conversation point but i want to see what we can pull out of it is the sort of like anti-hero i won't even say anti-heroness but like the difficulty the intentional difficulty of empathizing with any of these characters in that like you talked earlier i think it's is it pike or is it dutch who uses a woman as a just basically a meat shield um there, there are uh, toward the end of the like final climax there's um, obviously like all sorts of chicanery and like generally morally terrible things that the main characters do. And yet we have scenes that break up like the chaos, the monot or excuse me, the chaos, the um, the violence with like camaraderie. They're enjoying wine together. They're like relaxing and laughing together. So there's this whole I mean, obviously, it's one of Peckinpah's things is these characters like no character is perfectly morally good and no parent character is perfectly morally evil uh, unless they're they have more power than it's just like hey there are characters that have more power than the guys you're like who are your lens this is if you're going to empathize if you're going to use somebody as like a perspective point for this movie use the guy with less power because he's punching up against something um so how does everybody think that was like deployed i mean like wider cast smaller scope i guess fewer uh, fewer like actual plot points but in cases of other like movies that have done that or even other peck and pop films you've seen, how is that deployed here and what did you feel about it? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, just sort of like on the base, I think that like empathizing isn't the right word, right? Because it's, it's difficult to empathize with this, but like I can definitely sympathize with the romanticism of the wild bunch, right? Like they're basically like, this is, this is a movie about what the childhood fantasy would actually look like if it was followed through on, right? Like these are, these are people who want to be like, Arthur's Knights of the Round Table, right? They're kids. They're like, we want to we wanna play cowboys and Indians. We want to like not let anybody tell us what to do. We're going to ride around with our boys and we're going to do whatever we want, you know? And, and sort of like, I really love recasting that fantasy as just as sort of like despicable as what it is while still leaving room for it to be something human and something relatable, right? It's sort of like, yes, like, this is actually what that would look like. It's still kind of what you want, right? <laughs> it's still like sort of like there is a certain sympathy to the idea of like, or at least it it makes the um 
the tragedy of this movie feels somewhat resonant that like, oh, like this fantasy is is over with. Right. And I also think it makes it like human. Right. Like, I think that the Wild Bunch are for better and worse, very human. And I think that it's important that they are being replaced by something that is literally faceless. Right. It's just sort of like there there is no sort of like angry version of Pike on the opposing side, right? There there aren't any humans on the opposing side, right? Because like what it actually is is sort of like I think that the only scene that sort of personifies the idea of what what is coming next is just when Mapuchi gets gets the machine gun and he just sets it off indiscriminately for fun. And it's just like it it's this total disregard for human beings in one way or the other, right? It's like even even the sort of like wanton cruelty that the wild bunch are capable of is preferable to this sort of like utter anti-humanism of a state system of violence which is just sort of like this is like profit and whatever profit is right like i think another one of the most despicable things that happens in the movie is in that first scene when it's revealed that like the fucking railroad company staged this uh hold up um, in the middle of this crowded square for the purposes of catching the wild bunch, knowing that they would come and knowing that this shootout would involve the fucking innocent people in this town. It's like, damn guys, like that was like, that was the plan. Uh, so it's, it just kind of goes to show. And like the reason why they were doing that was not because like, like the railroad operator was not operating on this, like, well, we have to like defeat these monsters that are killing innocent people. It was like, these guys are cutting into my bottom line and that's got to end. Right. And so I'm going to pay these people to do that. And it's sort of like, that's what it looks like in the future is like, there aren't any like wild bunch running around trying to sort of like satisfy their own ids. It's just like this profit margin and what needs to be done to maintain it. Yeah, totally. And uh, I, I guess this is maybe less of a direct response to your question, Jason, but it is something that like, as y'all have been talking about this, like I, I got thinking about, I thought about it while I was watching, I think maybe tangentially, it maybe plays into this, um, this topic, but like while watching, I was considering the idea of just like it in all the ways that, again, this movie being bookended by um, a couple extreme sequences of violence with a lot of you know fun despicable shenanigans like peppering the two hour 20 minute runtime whatever um i also watched that version great movie by the way um i do not regret those those scenes getting getting put in but the um i i, I had this thought just like the the decision to because like we we are with pike and his felt we are with um bunch comma the wild uh for for the bulk of the runtime and in all the ways, again, the the movie kind of brings us to and fro with, um, you know, seeing if you can call it good, but just like humanizing this this group of guys just to make the time with them more um, bearable. And like, I think, I forget when exactly in the movie it was, but during a sequence of particular, uh, particularly stronger, uh, strong attempts by the film to like give us, you know, give us a reason to like, oh, say like, oh, I like Pike Bishop as a dude. Um, and thinking like, wow, it's fascinating. Or like, I don't know, this could have been a, this would have been a different movie if you had just swapped William Holden and Robert Ryan, um, have Robert Ryan play Pike and have William Holden played, uh, Deke Thornton. Um, just be, like Holden has a history of playing these sorts of, these sorts of, um, scummy kind of guys that are multifaceted, that are complicated and difficult to sympathize with at least right away. And 
um, like Robert Ryan has this very soft like face in comparison, like kind of glazed over just like his experience. And I mean, we, we see the background between these two characters, obviously um, Deke's experiences is much different. And I, I think that plays accordingly into his, into his performance, but just like the softness of his features, whereas like um, William Holden uh, appropriately plays um, Pike as this very like world hardened kind of dude. Um, and then I just thought, well, like, ob- like that's, that would completely undermine, <laughs> I think one of uh, like uh, one of the big thing, uh, not one of the big things. One thing that this movie is trying to do in like layering these, these guys appropriately really but ultimately coming away so like well no, pike's end is near we we shouldn't necessarily feel like capital be bad about it there is uh, again that sort of inevitability there and then deke has his own sort of trajectory um but there is how that plays into the sympathy conversation like that is something that um the the movie's wrestling with and we're subsequently wrestling with and like the wrestling with that um in the ways that we do is uh, like i to me that's probably like the the um, the important thing um sympathies i'm sympathetic to their to their attempts to sympathize with these characters or something hmm. i don't know that's my handoff jason some, take it some meta sympathy is going exactly where i was going to go <gasps> because um what harry was saying about uh you know like i forget exactly how you said it but like you can see how like um, you can see that the violence that the like things that these characters are doing is be- is bad, but you still kind of want it as part of that larger like fantasy, as part of that larger mythos. Um, and I, like that happened at a like an actual production level, an actual concepting of the movie level. Um, for Peck and Pie, so Wikipedia tells me, don't come at me. Um, that with the violence in this movie, uh, he's quoted as having said that it, he wanted to quote unquote twist Hollywood violence so that it's not fun anymore, just a wave of sickness in the gut, ugly, brutalizing, bloody awful. Uh, not uh, fun and games and cowboys and Indians. It's a terrible, ugly thing. And yet there's a certain response that you get from it and excitement because we're all violent people, quote unquote. I also um, took that exact quote down to read uh, at some point during this it's podcast. It's really important, right? It is very important. Yes. I get the feeling that, I, and then Wikipedia closes out that sentence with a quote from a book that I, or excuse me, an inference from a book that I don't have, but um, it says saying that he was quote unquote troubled by the fact that audiences responded positively to the violence in this movie rather than, uh, you know, negatively as, as he had like, s- sort of supposed to hope. Um, I cannot imagine how somebody makes a movie that like dwells so much on like, the, and again, maybe it's just 2023 brain, but like I've been watching movies that kind of treat violence like this for a long time, partially, if not hugely influenced by movies like, and exactly like the wild bunch. Um, but like, it feels in a way for lack of a better term, like he fucked around a little bit and found out like he was seeing a rise of violence in cinema. And he was like, I'm going to make the most version of it. I'm going to make like, I'm going to like sort of soil this American tradition of the Western with just an incredible orgy of violence, squibs everywhere, people falling like an incredible, like loss of innocent life. And you're going to be sickened by it. And then people aren't sickened by it. And he says, uh, you know, uh Oh, well, and and also like, I don't know, like, I can sympathize with Peckinpah. This is very much, like, sort of, like, the artist is, like, terrified by his own success sort yeah. of thing, right? Where, like, also, Peckinpah is, like, asking for this very nuanced, multifaceted response to the violence in yes. this movie, even as he himself admits, right? And it's just yeah. like, hey, like, it turns out, Peckinpah, like, you're not to be superior, but, like, and I'm not saying that that audience weren't having this reaction. I'm saying that, like, on a mass response level, it's very hard to uh, observe nuanced response to something, right? <laughs> it's sort of like like when you're polling like 100,000 people, you're not going to get like responses that are like, well, yes, the violence was, was horrifying and it actually helped me reframe uh, what I thought about a lot of the myths on 
the West that I sort of had held sacrosanct. But I also had this. It's like, you know, it's like people are going to be like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like that guy got it's like it's that's fine. Like, I don't think that that's like an existential threat to what Peckinpah was trying to do. Right. But also it's sort of like, what were you expecting, dog? (laughs) Yeah, it's why I find like interviews with like Tarantino, who's like so clearly like owes so much to like this film and other films like it is like, I kind of find his like attitude a little more refreshing in a certain it's, manner. Where it's he's more like, realistic because yeah, yeah, it's fun, yeah. Jan. Yes. And it's like, it. it is. It is fun. You can kind of acknowledge both of those things. And Peckinpah does that too. Right. It just seems like he is maybe a little disturbed that it's like a little bit more in one direction. Cause I, I do think he acknowledges that it is fun to a certain extent. Right. Um, but oh, oh yeah. yeah, the movie does. I mean, like, the, these yes. these are our heroes. Absolutely. You can do like, both. You can have your cake and eat it too, you know? Even though they are anti-heroes. And I that brings me to something I wanted to talk about that I actually hadn't really been thinking about until this conversation, but um it's interesting the ways in which I also think that like the the humanity of the wild bunch also extends to this capacity to change, right? Like I think that there is this idea that um like the the wild bunch are like highly mercurial and that is a problem for them often because they'll go from being comrades to being at each other's throats constantly but it's also like that changeability is uh has potential for good that a giant system doesn't right and i i think that the role that guilt plays in this movie is is really interesting right because um like you know pike is obviously he he's tortured with guilt over the way that um he had treated um his former friend who is now pursuing them right he had sort of abandoned him to his fate um there is a sense in which like these guys on on some level, right, like a subconscious level maybe, kind of understand that the same sort of like um, value systems that they espouse led to the system that they're up against now, right? This sort of like utter selfishness is like becoming um, like the law of the land. And there is this sense that like at least when it is personified – the way that it is here, there is this sense that it could develop into something else, right? Like they had this opportunity to actually sort of like learn the right things from their lives, right? Even though they made a lot of like shitty mistakes along the way, whereas there is no capacity for that when uh, capitalism and imperialism are just sort of like inescapable laws of nature or the world at that point. Speaking of inescapable laws of nature embodied in capital, um, Deke is a character who like gets obviously a pretty big focus of the plot, but I don't know where his character ended up and sort of how they used him and what sort of place he had as uh, as like somewhat more empathetic. Like he is also being and knowingly being puppeted by the state. He was uh, he's um, uh, uh, Pike's former uh basically outlaw partner he's now turned against him for a reduced prison prison sentence you know helps track helps the the railroad company track him down um how did like tell tell me about uh, what you think i guess i don't know cody if you don't mind talking about deke i don't know i I, I just wanted to throw to somebody um about deke about like where where you see him throughout the movie how you like feel about where he ended up he's basically like now sort of reliving that in full recognizance of the that myth that's dying he's like going back at it apparently with with a new bunch of sorts or at least with a smaller bunch Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a, a less wild bunch. I think that's what I saw the sequel that's been in development hell for like uh-huh, 50 uh-huh. years <laughs> that it's going to be called. But um, yeah, I like he, Deke Thornton comes across uh, as pretty jaded. Um, j- like again, the worn down by the world in a different sort of way that Pike has been at least for the last, like, you know, for the period of time through which their relationship sort of branched uh, away from itself but um yeah like to get a reduced prison sentence he he works for the man uh to track them down um he gets stuck with a bunch of um I don't like unreliable sorts as well as you know these these green trooper recruits you know these like teenage kids essentially um and you know by the end of it his you know kind of like the his the final acts of his particular arc he um, you know, he leads them to the right place. He does not, you know, he obviously cared for Pike. He does not take participate in the, um, you know, uh, however you want to characterize it, like the the sacking, the, you know, um, just like picking out the, the nice things for himself from that mm-hmm. sort of that, that camp, that place they were at. Um, he kind of leaves himself to his emotions and then lets, uh, let's the other, you know, lets his other unreliables go forth and they, um, uh, Sykes catches up with them with, um, on Hill's village, I, I believe it was, um, they kind of do their thing. And so by the end of it, it's, you know, it's a result of him, like, I don't know, like making the best of, of this new world like playing his relationships not necessarily in the most like satisfying way but in a way that keeps him afloat um and he gets offered you know an opportunity to just like it is they literally say um i think it's i think it oh god i can't remember if it's him or it's sykes um it's like and it's not my closing quote for the episode it's like it ain't like it used to be it ain't like it used to be but it'll do not like again like not a a particularly satisfying sentiment but it like it is it's humbling and it keeps you alive um this coming immediately after a sequence where everybody died um so it is (laughs) it's like it is it is a note to end on and i i think i don't know i feel complicated like complicated i feel complicated feelings about it but i think uh i like that's the point i would Mm -hmm. having Having coming out, having come out of this feeling like a, a very straightforward way about Deke and just like the situation we find ourselves in, I, I think would be sort of unfulfilling. And so, yeah. yeah, like him sort of riding the um the riding in the the wake of this this force of of an occurrence, you know, with with Pike and everybody else, and just kind of basking in the ashes of like what has taken place here is is like kind of fitting and his reward for it is he gets to be alive and try his hand in this new world for a little bit longer. I don't know if anybody else feels differently about that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I love Deke. I think he's probably my favorite character. He kind of makes this movie for me. Uh, love his wildly homoerotic relationship that he has with Pike. Um, that's that's the good stuff. Um, I also think that like he is uh, sort of ironically the movie's hopeful note, right? Or at least that's how I read the ending. Because like, first of all, like it's it's really important to note how badly he wanted to die with the rest of the Wild Bunch in that final shootout. Like that is going to be the greatest regret of his life, right? Is that um and he he was a, a former member of the Wild Bunch. And then, like, the state oppressed him to the point where, like, he was so terrified of their violence that he allowed it to own him, right? And so he is sort of an owned man in a category that the rest of the Wild Bunch aren't. 
where he is now working for the oppressor because he is so afraid of the oppressor's ability to leverage violence against him, right? He doesn't want to go back to jail. And by the end of this movie, uh, through the example of how the Wild Bunch could defy uh, their oppressors even to uh, a violent end, even to their own destruction, he's decided to follow that uh, mentality, right? He has decided that, like, I am not going to let the oppressors define me anymore. I am not going to, like, live in this world according to their rules. Even if it means my death, even if it means imprisonment again, I am going to live as myself, right? And there's therein lies the hope that the sort of, like, philosophy of the Wild Bunch, this idea that it's possible to live as yourself, to self-determine outside of oppression is possible i think is like that's the final hope of this and i think it's like actually really um and and again like i don't want to like be too much of a political firebrand because like i don't think peck and paul was like this and i don't think that the movie actually goes this far but like it's interesting right that like he ends up joining the indigenous peoples of mexico uh in the mexican revolution against the mexican government right it's just sort of like Maybe there is this sense in which, like, hey, in this, like, next stage of history, there won't be fence sitting, but, like, that means that people like you have to choose one or the other. And, like, Deke ends up sort of, like, he he sort of, like, thinks, like, what did I learn from all of this, right? From all of my fence sitting, from all that came before. Uh, and what he learns is, like, actually, like, now's the time to, like, join a rebellion, <laughs> Uh, Deke is basically in charge of the unwild bunch. Throughout yeah, this yes. entire, it's the the tame, the bunch, lame maybe. ass bunch. Yeah, yeah the, the, the boring the cuck, ass normal the bunch. bunch. It's hmm. the it's he's the he's like the the bad guy in JRPGs that like leads the gang that's like similar but completely the opposite of the gang that you have uh, exploring around. Where he he it's very clear that he just like distinctly in comparison uh, uh, to Pike's gang is just like. All these guys fucking suck. They're all just like way too like I, the the men that I'm in charge of are like way too young and inexperienced Dude, he, and just he solely has this out for themselves. Incredible line where he's like, "These are men we're chasing," and I <laughs> yeah. wish to God I was with them. <laughs> yeah, and it's like fuck uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> Deke is good. Deke is like a Deke would eventually evolve into like just like the salary man, just like white collar, just like desk dude in like modern films. You know what I Except mean? Except like he, the guy he wouldn't just like, though. Well, no, but like that character is just like, just God, I wish I was one of those guys outside. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, he's Walter Mitty. He can't. He can't. Uh, sure. Yeah. He, sure. Yes. <laughs> he's, you, he's. You could uh, say he's Walter Mitty. <laughs> Shea Wiggum in the Fast and Furious films. He is absolutely oh Shea Wiggum in the Fast and Furious he's films. He's Jeremy yes. Renner in the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> sure. Uh, keep, keep him coming. Cody's got one. Cody's seen 4,000 films. Movies. He's got one. Yeah, but y'all took good ones. Y'all took good ones. I can't measure up to. Nobody can measure up to Shea he's Wiggum. Luigi in <laughs> the I mean, Mario movie. Timely reference. Uh, I'm going to see that tomorrow. That I'm not going to be able to get that reference until I see it. Yeah. Sorry. Wait, here, Cody, is this. If we talk about the Super Mario Bros. movie, do you have to go camera off? Is that uh, a technicality? Oh, okay. So the question has been answered for me. Um, well, that was the final point I wanted to sort of talk about was, was Deke. Um, anybody else have anything else before we get to our little ending bits? I want to open up the junk drawer to you for any final thoughts. Is the junk drawer an ending bit? Uh, sure. Okay. Our first ending bit is the junk drawer. No, Your the final junk drawer thoughts. is not a bit. 
It's not, not a, bit. a bit. That's just a phrase you use for a wrap up. Okay, but good All grief, right, give me a gift. My, bit. Cody's not his bit. Okay, that's a bit. Yeah. Uh, here, here's here's what I'll say. Uh, just kind of thinking about westerns for a while again because this is like I guess the second one we've covered maybe, uh, and I don't maybe watch enough westerns. Uh, is that I think like trying to distill down why. This is going to be dumb because people have written about this and probably have more mature thoughts on this than I do. But I think there is there is something about, despite its problematic nature, there's something about the context of the West in general that is like very specifically tied into like the material realities of the West, like heightened aspects that are kind of otherwise not important in other similar films. And what I mean by that is like, it is very clear, like how important so many small things are in this film, right? A single railroad is important because it is the sole method of transportation through this area, right? Uh, a single town is important because it is the kind of last bastion. Uh, uh, I don't want to use that kind of language, but it is the last area where you can like talk with people and get food and supplies and water and sell goods and kind of hide out and whatnot. Right. Uh, that like one of the main plot points is around a single box of guns being distributed to like the, this group of, of Mexican people. Right. Um, and it's like, there's something about this like big, large land with no infrastructure that like heightens the symbolic importance of like these very, small things, things that would be small in any other film are like heightened to like almost like mythological or like extreme symbolic importance due to that. And I think like that is like largely why I I like, there is some sort of attraction to me to like Western films is that like a town is like so important. A railroad is like life or death, right? Um, something like once upon a time in the West, like deals with this as well with like the, and all Westerns deal with this, right? Like, a railroad is being builded that will like yeah, it, change it becomes the mythic, of for right? Like every, yes. everything is mythic in scope because it's like it's the town or it, the it is railroad. Like, yes, it is the antithesis to like the the problem that like a lot of screenwriters deal with, where like you can't write films that can be solved with smartphones anymore, right? Or you need to like explain your way around it, right? The 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 West is like the opposite of that, where it's like all of all of that noise is just like completely removed until all you have is like three or four points kind of standing and you can kind of like just kind of build up between them to tell the story um again that is it is also the genre that like is maybe the most weighed down with baggage so you know you take what you can with it uh, and, but... and largely for the same reasons right because like yes. in the west the american indian is just like a Symbol, and yes. it turns out that ma like making objectifying uh, a group of people in that way is like deeply or problematic. Many people, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not even a group of people, but yes, right. Um, well, yeah, and that's like one of like sixteen things that are similarly problematic in westerns. But like uh, the the I mean the, the other thing is like you know I thought of this while watching. Um, uh, I think it was like the scene where they're trying to get the, the cart off like the broken bit of bridge, lifting it up. And it's like, um, you know, my, my dad like likes Western. He's not like sitting around these days watching Westerns, but like he always really loved uh, High Noon growing up uh, and would like sing the theme song to that. And, Great like, really film. loves that movie. I like mowed the lawn of a guy who's who passed away a few years ago, but it was like a super old dude who would just like, 
you know, uh, I would like mow his lawn on his little riding lawnmower and he would just like sit inside and like watch like Westerns on TV every single time I was over just Westerns playing on TV. And it is like, you don't see that as much because the genre has like, I think faded in importance. Um, but like th- there was a group of people like a few decades back, maybe two, maybe three, four or five, whatever that like Westerns were like kind of the thing for like decades oh, yeah. and like really established, like kind of American filmmaking and like visual uh, uh, iconography and whatnot. It was like all like rooted in this idea of the cowboy of the open range of whatnot. And it's like, I think we kind of missed that. It's certainly something that we haven't talked about maybe as much as we could have on the show, just because of the films we covered and whatnot. And it's like, it, it's like so incredibly important despite being tainted in a lot of ways too. Uh, anyway, that's, I was thinking about all that. Well, and, so. yeah, I mean, it's there, it's complicated, right? Because then like almost as soon as there were Westerns, there were revisionist Westerns like this one, right? Like they, they basically happened at the same time. We're like, I, I, this is sort of like, there's this very funny, like trend in um, criticism that is sort of like this idea that like there was this sort of like pure Western and then there were like responses to Westerns. And it's like, it's actually way more complicated than that, right? Like High Noon is a pretty good example. That's like a revisionist as hell, right? And it's also like from the 50s or whatever. And so it's like, like these, these symbols have always been all of the things that they are. And people have been like using them that way and thinking about them that way for as long as they've been. Right. And like that makes Westerns so fascinating and complicated because like they have this very particular American weight and they are doing all of the things that you say they're doing. And also like filmmakers and writers and uh, artists have been thinking about them in those terms and deconstructing them and subverting them for like almost as long as they've been a thing. Right. Yes. I, uh, to, to kind of tie that to high noon, uh, uh, not to ref- not to break one of my own rules that I'm a stickler for and reference something from the chat, but Cody typed, I think, about the theme from High Noon all the time. Here's the thing: High Noon's theme, banger, one of the biggest bangers in uh, in 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 theme history, at least you know, like English language ones. Uh, but my shout out to my dad again. High Noon, maybe like his favorite movie. Uh, he would his favorite little tidbit about High Noon is he would love to point out. Uh, uh, while while uh watching high noon or just like kind of in general in the way that dads do uh the theme for high noon as like the showdown is like coming and the train is arriving in town and as this man's about gonna have this kind of standoff with with all these figures the theme throughout the movie like slowly increases in tempo and gets like slightly louder over the course of the film Ooh, it's real good it's real good. High noon. Would lo- John please schedule a uh, program high noon at some point, not the remake. I want to see the 52 version. I would love to talk about high noon on the podcast. I'm not going to have my dad on the pod, but you know, God damn it. What no. are we even doing here? Just not. I can't, can't have my dad on the pod. That's, that's crazy. But yes, I mean, shout out. High noon. Yeah. And it's music, which won the Academy Award for score and original song in the year of its release. Uh, pretty cool. Good movie. Uh, I think we're still in, in the drawer. Correct. Uh, this movie has grenades and a Wilhelm scream. So by definition, it's perfect. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't make the rules. Um, that's so that's just how it is. Also, I the one that uh, that was on the tip of my tongue from like 
three hours ago, a Bronn from Game of Thrones, somebody who is like, you know, comes into power or money and then it's just like sitting at his he was in this movie? God okay. damn it. Um, although Mr. <laughs> Nobody from Fast and Furious would probably also fit the bill, not for nothing. Um, maybe he does eventually get down into into the thick of it, but you know, for a little ah, while. But he doesn't regret. He, Mister Nobody, is fine playing the cards. He doesn't look out the window and just sure. go like, "God damn, that should be me." You know what I mean? Like that's the that's the real. I, suppose, I feel like there is an air of him though, and maybe it's just because you can see every wrinkle on Kurt Russell's uh, face. The character uh, in from that role, he's who... like, "Man, you crazy kids." The Don't character get into from too Heat, dangerous of shenanigans. The diner, Heat? the guy who's the diner who gets shot, the one black character in the film who immediately gets killed. Mm. Spoiler alert. But eventually he's just like, fuck this. I've had enough of this fucking work. I'm going to go back to robbing banks. That's that's kind of one. Um, oh, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. I will say, and I, I posted this on Letterboxd, so sorry for repeating myself, uh, that the number one young male fantasy, the number one, you can you can talk about uh, young kids wanting to the, uh, this kind of power fantasy, whatever. The number one young male fantasy is to be on a train while it is moving and defend yourself. That is the next. Anytime in a video game, GTA, this is the number one. You can talk about running from the cops, whatever. Get on the train. You get a gun. You just start shooting shit while you're on the train and you try and survive. That is the that to me that is the like number one. If I could some sort of time traveling device to do this, it would be cool. And then time travel back so it never happened. Some sort of train heist action thing is the number one for yeah, me. Yeah, time, time travel is the only thing preventing you from shooting things and not getting shot. That's. I mean, I would get lit up immediately. Yeah, like, no, real you, life. You wouldn't. Me, you wouldn't talk about me. Your dead body if, would be sent back to the present, <laughs> just riddled right, with holes. Yeah. If I was trying to do like an inside man, I would I would immediately get gunned down. No question. They would get me in like ten twenty five seconds. I would. I would agree. Um. I don't know. Being like you can't think of a cooler one. You can't think of one. One train. Being on top of a train, retiring in my sixties. What's Mm. that? Uh, I said retiring in my sixties for two (laughs) hundred. All right. Look, we got jokes here, okay? But nothing better than being on a than cool action shit on a train. It's the number one. Uh, I talked about it a little bit, but shout outs to, um, I really like that this, this movie takes the time to introduce and explain, uh, the fact that there are indigenous Mexicans, right. That don't speak Spanish because Spanish is a colonizer's language. And, um, just to sort of like create that level of nuance and talk about them in terms of like, they are sort of the adults in the room, right. In that they are committed to this revolution against, state oppressors um i think that like especially uh in the context of a vietnam movie i i really really appreciated that aspect of this movie is that they were like hey like there there are there are parts of this world and people in this world who are not the wild bunch right who are sort of like they aren't on the sidelines and this is a very real thing for them they're defending their homes from imperialists um and it's sort of like Hey, almost like something that's happening while this movie's being shot. Um, <gasps> so, so shout outs, shout outs to that. I think that that I really like that um, aspect of this movie. Um, also, I think uh, Aaron, I don't disagree entirely. I think that um, huh? planning and staging a heist um, is really high for me. Um, with like I, all my friends yeah. and we all have like a job to do and it like something goes wrong and we have to like think on our feet, but we still manage to get out of there. That's, that's not a bad one. I think there's a little bit too much of like a, maybe I'm stupid here. I think there's a, too much of an intellectual focus for something like sure. a train heist is 
pure visceral. Well, just I like, think that the reason you're right is not necessarily it's because like in your like vision of a heist, yeah. you are doing all of the parts at once. Yeah. Like in Ocean's Eleven, you are all eleven guys, <laughs> whereas in in reality, yes. you just do one thing. Like you crack the safe and then you just sort of fuck off, and like the rest of it is like somebody else is doing it, and it's like I don't want that. Yeah. That the nice thing about the train uh, attack is that everybody is just shooting, and it's just sort of like wild and fun for they're, everybody. Well, they're they're trying. Guess what? Someone just detached a train car in front of me. I right. gotta jump from this train car to that train car before. This slows down. It blows up something. Folks. Yeah, Tra- I mean, train people. We know what we know. We have a number of friends, who rail, train rail guys, folk? and yeah. you know what? They're they're right. Like they're trains, right. fucking rock, man. I, trains I will, are the best. I yeah. will say, my, my preferred fantasy would be like infiltrating a place riddled with guys, like Metal Gear Solid style, Slender Cell yes. style, and not I mean, being seen. Like ooh, hiding, ooh, hiding. That's that's Calling where it's at. A vent. Being loud and shooting into a and stuff room. is great, but like, yeah, avoiding detection, that would be, if I could like, if there were a world in which I could do that, that is the one man thing. Like in contrast to what Harry was saying, you don't do one thing. You do, literally have to do all the things because you can't get a team in there. That's, that would be my fantasy counterpart or counter fantasy to that. Um, wonderful little prompt. Uh, I'm going to open up the floor to, well, no, I'm going to say the one thing that I was going to say from my junk drawer. Um, there's that one guy in the final scene at Agua Verde whose head is just too fucking big. Uh, you see him first when the gang is walking into town and then he actually, I think he shoots and maybe dies uh, at least once in that scene. But like his head is just too fucking big. He looks like Doug Dimsdale of uh, the Dimsdale Dimodome. It's just too fucking big. It's like <laughs> wide and tall. I should take a picture mm. because it's just fucking bizarre. It yeah, I don't remember this make guy. It, I make it your say. Twitter avatar for like Tuesday when the episode <laughs> drops or something. It's really good. I did find the movie this time. So gifts coming speaking of which we have a segment where we like to pull out gifts from the movie for the episode tweet that goes out on tuesday when it publishes um anybody got a gif for me harry you got uh shots that you would like to see a gif made out of oh man i didn't really i watched this uh not taking notes so i um don't have as many good ones i really like when they shoot the wine barrels um and wine comes shooting out and then they like bathe in it or like open their mouths and um there are a lot of really great shots of like skyline. Um, I think like, like, um, uh, riding off into the sky into the, mm-hmm. um, there's some really good ones there. Uh, any number of times that, that Peck and Paw like cross cuts between like six different people dying at once because he's like cutting like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Um, that's great stuff. Apparently that was like really revolutionary for the time. Um, that one moment where the, uh, the horse in the, the opening scene, that guy gets shot and his horse falls and his horse falls into, uh, a store <laughs> and we're inside the store and we see his, like his whole horse and body fall through the storefront that's really good um also real quick shout outs to this is maybe the most uh, horse unfriendly (laughs) film ever made there are like six different scenes where i was like man definitely upwards of a dozen horses died a lot of uh, shooting that yeah like just really rough stuff there's that one scene where they explode the bridge and a bunch of horses in a way that does not look simulated whatsoever just plummet into the waters it below. was not yeah it super those were just like, horses yeah those were definitely just horses yeah and it, it's like it's peck and paw right so it's like not exactly a, a fucking animal rights activist yeah Wait, Herzog or Peckinpah? Who's killed more animals? It had to have been Herzog because of all those rats in in Yeah, uh, I think Herzog ended up killing like literally 30,000 rats in Nosferatu, right? So like his head count is is really something. 
What if he just like that was just his thing? Just like from then on, whenever there was an animal in a shot, he just immediately kills it. Like the the fucking iguanas in uh, Port of Call. Just oh as soon God. as that was done, he was just like, he's just like, well, I got to do it. We didn't even need to kill those man. He's like, I must. Right. <laughs> uh, Cody, Aaron. Uh, my submission for consideration with the good grief, good grief, give me a gift Academy is, uh, and again, this is HBO where it does it in like how much time is left, but with an hour, nine minutes and 18 seconds left in the film, this is during, it's during the, the train heist, Ernest Borgnine taps on a box to get the attention of some shoulders, uh, some shoulders, some soldiers on a train, uh, camera goes back to him. He gives him a classic toothy Ernest Borgnine grin. And I think he waves or just like puts his hand up. Beautiful. There are more like thematically significant shots that I wrote down as well, but that is, uh, that's the image that I will take away from this film for better and for uh, definitely just, I love it. Uh, uh, yeah, Harry kind of touched upon this one, but th- this film was like maybe like an a, a aspect that we should have touched on more was like kind of very influential on how it like shot action and like especially like chaotic scenes of action, not just because of like all of the cuts. Cuts are like very common like today, of course, with like action scenes, but like Peck and Paw purposely like cut scenes of action uh, with like different focal points so that your eyes literally just like like need to uh, kind of jump around. And the so, opposite like, of the George Miller thing. Yeah. Right. The, like the exact opposite of that in order to like make it more chaotic and more like kind of upsetting and whatnot. Uh, I would just pick like just a random three second, four second, whatever the, you know, the, the gift fucking uh, length is just a random action scene where it's just incomprehensible, just completely yeah. just, Yeah. This, basically like, what Harry said, but yeah. I honestly, I honestly thought that like we were going to get a fucking sort of doom ending, right? Where it was just like that, that like that final action sequence just sort of departs. That'd the, be great here. The reality That'd be very good of here. the yeah. right? Yeah, it's just sort of like like I, I kept wondering just like how the do they still car. have bullets? Right? It yeah. seems like they're depopulating the nation of Mexico because of how many people they've killed. It's just like how are there still people fighting? How are there still civilians running around? It's like it's five full minutes. Of just like cuts to people's bodies falling apart just over and over and over again it's strong it's it's influential um and it also influential is the game we're about to play uh or maybe i don't know what we're going to do uh it's always a mystery to us but before mm. we can get there we have to have uh harry open it up for us yes it's the segment that we like to call <gasps> cody's, cody's noties. noties wow thank you gentlemen that introduction was certainly not beholden to a dying era of civilization uh this yeah yeah this week's segment is about it's ultimately it's about bunches uh but for the segment name i felt um this is uh, also stupid. I felt compelled to honor our, our good friend and previous guest, Kyle Wilson, uh, who is not stupid. Uh, great fella in college. Um, one funny thing about him in college, he tried to get a particular like running joke to stick and the manifestation of that joke. I just, I was thinking about it all throughout this episode because, or uh, throughout this movie rather, because the manifestation of that joke, um, like the running bit is a phrase um, that's coincidentally a synonym for the title of this movie. And so without further ado, this is called um, <clears throat> Crazy Gang. 
not the crazy gang, a crazy gang, just crazy gang. Um, no, was this a was this a hashtag that uh, Kyle tried to proliferate, or what was he probably this? tried to work it into a hashtag? Just like as far as like, uh, just I don't I don't even know. Regrettably, uh, actually, fortunately for me, I don't have a ton of uh, answers about Kyle's great joke. Um, shout out to Kyle. However, I do have a bunch of answers for a series of prompts relating to notable bunches. Some might call them gangs. Uh, After reading each prompt, I will ask y'all in the order of Grossman, Daphnis, and Mackin to respond, because I think that's another one we don't get super often. Uh, You get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer, and the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here, so use your nudes, not your googs with that. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to first tackle perhaps... The most notable bunch, arguably, the Brady Bunch. Remember them? Um, I feel silly doing this, but uh, if there are any particularly young-ass listeners out there who don't know what the Brady Bunch is, Mike Brady, uh, he has a widowed architect with three sons named Greg, Peter, and Bobby. He marries Carol Martin, who has uh, three daughters named Marsha, Jan, and Cindy. Carol and her daughters take the Brady surname. They live together in the same house. There's a live-in housekeeper named Dallas a dog named Tiger. They live in a two-story home in the suburbs of Los Angeles. They get into classic sitcom scenarios centered around family living and coming of age in the 60s and 70s. My question for you all, how many episodes of the Brady Bunch comprise the Brady Bunch canon? How many episodes of the Brady Bunch were aired? Aaron? Um, 42. 42 episodes, 42.0, 420 episodes of, no, 42 episodes of the Brady Bunch. Yeah, I'm not going to do a fraction here. I think we're going to keep it whole. Whole whole numbers, numbers. you know what? Integers only here, yeah. Pretty veteran move on your part, Grossman, I like it. Uh, Jason, over to you, what do you think? 81 episodes of the Brady Bunch. 81 episodes of the Brady Bunch, says Jason. Finally, Harry, what uh, what do you think? Well, I think that the Brady Bunch must have been in syndication, right? Because that's how it had such an enduring, endless television appeal. And I think you have to have 100 episodes for syndication, right? So I think I'm going to go with 101 episodes. This MF using the power of deduction. When's the last time we saw a Brady Bunch on TV, bro? I mean, I haven't had cable for my adult life. Yeah, me neither, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen you guys on screen the same time as I've seen the Brady Bunch. For all I know, you guys are the Brady Bunch. (gasps) Oh! really makes you think uh, the Brady Bunch there it Sorry. is ran from late. 1969 to 1974 over the course of 117 episodes Whoa. Harry gets Five the years. point can we just that. focus on how terrible Aaron was at that one like you were not even with those striking that had like a like what what what's the show that everybody references like oh it actually only ran for like Cowboy blank Dead, but it's such Deadwood? a no, oh, I'm not uh, talking about Fire Firefly. Fire I'm talking about an old no, Firefly. I'm not talking about Firefly. Is how many episodes of Ponderosa? I don't know. Have? Firefly was like what the fuck episodes. is Ponderosa? Wait, if I'm not allowed to not know that Calvin is a is isn't a human, you're not allowed to not know what Ponderosa even is, dog. It's a, it's right. a restaurant. Got its name from the fuck <sighs> Bonanza. What? Yeah. 117 Bonanza episodes. Bonanza. Uh, Wild how many... Now, hold on. Sorry to digress oh here. Has no, there been not. another fucking TV show restaurant situation? No. Um, Cody, continue. A, a t- you know what? Thank you. I will. Next, we're going to move to uh, to Bunch of Crunch. 
Yeah, you guys are in for now. Uh, it's a product of Nestle Crunch. Uh, it's a favorite movie theater snack of myself. And who knows, maybe others too. A Bunch of Crunch was originally only available for purchase in movie theaters before eventually being made available in uh, other grocery outlets as well. A Bunch of Crunch first became available in movie theaters in the year 1994. My question for you, in what year were they made available outside of theaters? Aaron? Oh, this is this is rough because I, I'm I'm a big uh, uh, crunch head myself. That they're often my go-to in the theater. Although they they've shrunk the packaging, so you get so few bunches yeah. of crunches and the thing now. It's like more bunches. before the movie starts. Um, can you repeat what year? What year they were in theaters? What year? Nineteen ninety four. You said. Yeah, they first became available in movie theaters in the year nineteen ninety four. Uh, 2006. 2006. Marking you down. Uh, over to Jason. What is your guess for the year that Bunch of Crunch became available outside of theaters? Mm, 97. 97 is the guess. And finally, Harry, what do you think? Yeah, this is tough because I, I seem to recall buying Bunch of Crunch in a blockbuster, which leads me to believe that it must have been closer to Jason. I'm going to maybe go with like 2000. Right, 2000, uh, a Y2K guess for Harry. The uh, famous, very famous treat known as Bunch of Crunch became available for retail purchase in non-movie theater venues in the year 2012. 2012. That's, yes. a, That's crazy, though. That's fucking Are crazy. You, it is Are crazy. They, I also, they would have made billions of dollars if they... I really like the sooner. idea that, that that was a movie theater exclusive snack. Yes. That really makes it yes. prestigious in Snow my mind. Snow caps. It's like, why would like, you ever even touch yeah, those outside of a right. theater? You know? Right. And if you're not a dad. You can't buy snow caps if you're not a dad and if you're not in a theater. Those are the those are the two requirements to buy. Snow I don't think caps. I've ever had if, a snow what cap. If, what if I Google oh, how good. to buy they're snow good. caps if I'm not a dad? Reddit is somebody going to give me good tips for that? Get get snow caps. Uh, well, you got to delete that recording, and we'll yeah. talk after this podcast. Ooh. You'll just get a bunch of misogynistic <laughs> comments because you'll be on Reddit. Hey. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, snow caps are good. Harry, get snow caps next time we go to the theater. Right. I'm going to pause here. Quick ad read from our friends at Reddit who sponsored this episode. Um, go to reddit.com. Um, uh, it's question number three. I should say, uh, sorry, Aaron got the point for that last one. The score now reads with uh, Aaron and Harry. I knew I, I should have paused. I, I should know better. Uh, Aaron and Harry are tied with one apiece. Jason still has yet to get on the board. Still very much, and so on and so forth. It's question number three, and you know what that means. It is time to shout out the film True Stories, which, hey, previous episode, and it's a movie whose full on-screen title is True Stories, a film about a bunch, a bunch of people in Virgil, Texas. Ain't that nice? I'm going to list three of our previous episodes, uh, including True Stories. My question for you will be, which one of these previous episodes has the most SoundCloud streams as of the other day when I last checked? So these are these are the choices. We've got option A is episode 179, True Stories. Option B is episode 177, which is Moonstruck. And option C, episode 199, Mad God. So which one of those has the most streams up to this point, Aaron? Uh, what was the second one you said? The second one was Moonstruck? episode 177, a.k.a. Moonstruck. I feel like this is like specifically 
designed to bait Harry and I to go. I mean, I, I'm going to go for true. St- I'm going to go for the true story. Yeah. I wasn't on that episode. I don't think, but I'm going to go for that one. True stories. All right. Got you locked in for yeah. true stories. Jason, what do you think? I'm going to go with mad God. No, no real reason. Gotcha. Mad God and Harry, you have the opportunity to cover the spread or go in a different direction. I think I'm going to cover the spread. Um, okay. For the record, like I think Mad God's a pretty good choice because I feel like of all of the movies that people would seek out reason. podcasts yeah. to listen to about, Mad God is the most likely. Um, but also, though, uh, Aaron, I think in general our older episodes have way more listens than our newer episodes just because they're older, well, so I guess. Struck then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know. Also, I, I think that I don't think that our friends that are not uh, friends of the pod listen to any episodes. But if they did listen to an episode, Moonstruck would Moonstruck probably, would be, probably one. be the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have been raving, sure. ranting about Mad God. On you, you, you're saying that me ranting honestly, about stuff does not convince my friends to check I mean, it out. Honest, I don't honestly, buy that at all. Your, your fanaticism for it is what's leading me to believe. Like, yeah, I feel like we talked, we had a longer tail on our conversation about Mad God than we had about either of the other movies. So that's where I'm pulling it from. Okay, I don't think that's accurate. All right. This is it's unusual to let these considerations be put out there after the guesses have been etched in concrete, but. It's at least they're on mic. They're, We're having fun, Cody. I know that's I was say if you would let me Something finish my thought, I would have said about. We're having fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's called having fun. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, this the previous episode with the most streams of those three is true stories. Uh, I'm not going to give the exact totals, but what follows is Mad God and Moonstruck bringing up the year. We can't oh really do that every time he gets a point, can we? <laughs> can That's going to be so terrible. <laughs> I'll only use it every time you get a right answer. Right. Not it's upon motivation. request. It's, it's a bulletin board material, what we say in the biz, bulletin board material for J- for uh, Jason and Harry to to get on the board themselves. Maybe they maybe they get their own jingles down the line. I don't know. I don't. Folks, we this. underestimated the David Byrne stands, clearly. We really did. Can Do you have numbers for us, Cody? I, I, I apologize if I missed those. Yeah, I mean, do I don't know? Do we want to? It's like it's like okay, we don't. I feel like this will encourage people to to go I to our soundcloud, maybe listen to these episodes. There you go. Um, okay, yeah, let's uh, smooth right over. They have a million views and a million one and a million two views. That's how many views they, <laughs> that's, they each have. Ah, damn it, Jason! I knew you looked at these before we started. <laughs> Wait a second, I used bag. my yeah, Google's. You know, views those things that you that thing you do with podcasts is you Next, view no, them. viewed the totals. He viewed the total. In order to get this question, yeah, in order to get that question right, Aaron had to listen to true stories 146 times. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Uh, for question four, uh, fellas, we really ought to talk about fruits. Uh, and I'm always saying this in general. Um, you know this about me. Many different fruits. Uh, I'm going to lay some facts down on you. Many different fruits come in bunches. Uh, perhaps most notably, grapes. Uh, and this is a this is a fun fact for you guys. I'm not sure if you guys knew this. But grapes are used in the production of wine, which what? is a, uh, a famous alcoholic beverage. I know. Um, all right, enough of that. My question for you, approximately what percentage, what percentage of world grape production is used for wine? Approximately what percentage of the world's production of grapes is used to make wine, Aaron? He's thinking. 
extremely high potential for embarrassment here for for all of us. <laughs> um, man, I I did the the percent. Oh man, um, I'll narrow 25. it down a little bit. It has to be somewhere between. 25. Okay, I was gonna say it has to be somewhere between zero and one hundred, but I got you oh, locked okay. in for that. <laughs> if you were actually gonna give a smaller section, I think I would have killed you. I you mean, don't I know, did. Cody. Yeah. If you if you if you were like, oh, it's between twenty five and fifty six, I think I would have murdered you. But I appreciate it. Twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty five. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Got you down. Uh, Jason, how about you? Same parameters apply between zero and one hundred. I'm gonna say it's like fifteen percent. Aaron said twenty five. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's I, one. In, I feel that's like, one in four grapes produced in the world is made into wine. wine. Which the math checks out again. Like Harry said, incredibly high chance here that we're all just made bare ass fools <laughs> yeah, on this episode. It sure is. For this very commonly known fact, yeah, agreed. Um, commonly known. So that's I was I was being sarcastic. Uh, okay. n- nobody knows this or should know this. Uh, yep, Jason with fifteen percent got you locked down, locked down, marked down, and locked in. There we go. Boom. Harry, what do you think? I'm uh, sorry to be like this. I'm going to do 14%. <laughs> uh, right. 14 right, what, did, what did Jason guess one more time? Guess, 15%. Guess, yeah, oh, yeah, I was going to say, guess what I guessed. If Harry guessed 14 fucking okay. percent. According to the internet, about 71% of global oh grape production goes toward making wine. Oh, it. my God. Oh, my fucking. It's not quite hit it. Yeah, yeah. Nice. You you cut that out or did that? Wait, was that the whole thing? I just the whole thing. It's not the whole song. song. You play oh, the no. fucking clip. So no, just I... fucking listen to it on your yeah. own time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Pull up Spotify. I'm loading up Spotify right now. <laughs> this is going to be cute. Uh, talking, but uh, I will be like, hearing you over the sound of That's incredibly mm-hmm. wild. Uh, I guess like people just that's don't like use almost, grapes for anything. I mean, almost look, when's every the last grape? time you bought grapes at a fucking store, Harry? Well, but they're there. I, buy I can go to a grocery store and Wine's buy there grapes. too, bro. What's bigger, the grape section or the fucking wine aisle? You might be Boom. right. I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> position je- like jellies and jams as an alternative, but they're mostly like from concentrate uh, anyway. So, oh yeah, there, there's I'm sure so little wow. grape in those. Retroactively, this number makes a lot of sense. <laughs> how, how much grape <laughs> you think is in grape? <laughs> Like, not to be a fucking, you know, loser about this bit, but like... This much grape. Bro, you guessed 25%. You were just closer. You weren't close. You're acting You're uh, acting like, oh, I nailed it. I fucking got you guys. You're talking a lot guys. of shit to a guy who has three points in this Cody's Noti section here, buddy. Okay? Speaking of scoreboard, uh, Aaron's uh, got three points. Harry with one. Jason, um, yeah, he's making the, the size of... Uh, how big is a grape? About this big. That is what, what we're looking at right now. Uh, it's still very much anybody's game as we lead into this fifth and final question and for this one you know what let's let's go ahead and circle back to the wildest bunch of them all you guessed it trial of pot no it's the wild bunch what i'm gonna do is yeah sorry uh what i'm gonna do is list four of the principal actors from the film the wild bunch what i'm gonna ask each of y'all to do is rank them in order of tallest to shortest there it is bucks uh i'm gonna list the actors and then do the you the usual spiel after but the four actors y'all will be ranking from tallest to shortest, I'm going to read them uh, in alphabetical by last name order. We've got Ernest Borgnine, who portrayed Dutch Engstrom, William Holden, who played Pike Bishop, Warren Oates, who played Lyle Gorch, 
and finally Robert Ryan, who played Deke Thornton. So those are the four um, for dear listeners who might be unawares. Um, they are taking these, like we said, they are ranking them, uh, these four actors in the order of tallest to shortest. They will get a point for each correctly slotted uh, man. And again, there'll be four men total in the mix. So if they get the order perfectly correct, they'll get four points. If two of the men are in the right places on the list, they'll get two points and so on and so forth. And so Could you, uh, um, yes. I, I missed the first one over the sound of Mac Morrison saying, Can Oh, you, you don't fucking say, Can you please repeat the first one again. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read through them all again. So we've got Ernest Borgnine, who played Dutch, William Holden, who played Pike, Warren Oates, who played the Gorch brother Lyle, and Robert Ryan, who played Deke. Um, did I give? Did I vamp enough, Aaron, or do I need to, to tap dance a little bit longer? Uh, I am almost... Uh, who did... Warren Oates played... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. It, uh-huh. You know... The, the fucked up thing is I'm entirely basing this off of their characters in this film and how much they like just the general, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think the movies I am good. feel of the fellas. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. Although I'm right. kind of swinging at the air here, but yeah. Ah, that's, that's how baseball works, but I'm ready when you are. I'm going to go, uh, t- tallest to shortest. I'm going mm-hmm. to go Robert Ryan. Uh, second, I'm going to go Warren Oates. I'm going to go third, William Holden. And fourth, I think Borg9 is giving what I would say is maybe short king energy, uh, at least in this film. Gotcha. All right, I'm going to read those yeah. back to make sure I, I uh, heard you correctly. We've got um, yeah, short, king, short King, et cetera. Uh, we got Robert Ryan, followed by Warren Oates, followed by William Holden, followed by Ernest Borg9. Do I have, do I have your guess accurate? I couldn't hear that over Return of the Mac, but I'm gonna you give it a thumbs up. That's good. Yeah. No, I, I did uh, hear it. I, uh, it's oh, good. Okay, I'm nah. joking. It's, it's good. It's a, I was gonna say sarcastic but and amazing bit, but that's now a somewhat genuine amazing bit as uh, we go over to someone with amazing bits. Jason, Jason, what's your mm. guess? I'm gonna go with William Holden at tallest, Robert Ryan at second tallest, Ernest Borgnine at third, and worn outs as the shortest he just gives little freak energy to me i know he's probably not the shortest but this is what my heart feels roger dodger i heard you loud and clear but just to make sure i did i'm gonna read these back so we got william holden robert ryan ernest borgnine and then war notes being the shortest of the bunch that is accurate gotcha gotcha okay and finally over to harry what is your guess for this yeah I had the same as Jason, except for reversing the last two. So William Holden at tallest, then Robert Ryan, uh, then Warren Oates, then Ernst Borgnine. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so we got William Holden, Robert Ryan, Warren Oates, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah? Yep. Cool, cool. I'm about to Alrighty. eat shit here, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I've, we'll, we'll find out. Um, I've got everything all tabulated just to, to get ahead of it. I just want to say thank you for your guesses, and thank you for playing this. Uh, this has been Crazy Gang. I am now going to read the correct order of these actors from tallest to shortest. That order is as follows. Coming in hot at six feet, four inches tall, we have Robert Ryan. Shit. Uh, coming in underneath uh, Robert Ryan, we'll say at six feet zero inches, we have Warren Oates. Shit, coming Oats. in, coming in just underneath Warren Oates at five feet eleven inches, William Holden, and coming in 
Underneath all of them, Short King, in this case himself, Get Ernest Borgnine at five feet nine. Ooh, Jason, please, I believe I deserve four of those in a row, I think. Okay, Sorry. cut out the last one, but I'll take it. No, no, it's fine. Sort of uh, sputtered out there at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Aaron, Harry, Jason, seven two zero, respectively. Uh, it is pop off time for Aaron, so have at it, folks. I'm not. I'm not going to lie here. I, I the the last few years have been very successful for me, specifically in regard to Cody's noties. But the last few, I would say, weeks have have not been. Uh, Harry has been. It's not come as a surprise to anybody. Kind of dominating. Uh, he has been a, a Mac who has been returning in his own way, you know? Um, but I like to think, thank you. I like to think that I am also, uh, back here. Uh, this is, I think kind of a, uh, you know, just kind of a, a sense of what's to come for the rest of 2023 dominating Cody's noties four out of four on that last question. What is the total? Sorry. What is the total points there then that I have? Uh, that was, you missed the first question and got the rest of them all correct. So seven total points. Nice. nice I'll take it. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, just look, this is what you have to look forward to. A lot of fucking Mac Morrison drops. Um, Jason, you might want to re up the entire song again. It might be worth doing. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lead in too much here, but if this continues, Maybe we just play this over the whole podcast. Maybe we we'll figure something out. But yeah, we'll, we'll anyway, workshop thanks, it. You and me. Um, we'll workshop. I like it. Yeah. I like how within his pop off moment, he decided to reiterate how many points he had so that he could pop off within the pop off before one, yeah. like removing one layer from the pop off to just continue has, talking I about mean, himself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but has anybody gotten four out of four on that last kind of you know fucking? Yeah. I, yes, I, I did. I, I forget <laughs> what it was, but I remember the feeling. Yes, it Cody happened. just says, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't. I, I think maybe I, I have. I, I keep the receipts. The, I could dig through. Maybe I have for one of, yeah, one of like the box have. office questions, and then I'm feeling maybe there was some sort of All studio right, Ghibli related. Relax, big but like, guy. I mean, look. How do you not uh, fucking grand is, slam, baby? To, I mean, to, com- to combine two, I pitched uh, a fucking two, perfect game here. Two idioms, what two axioms. Um, he is in the fucking around stage, and you know what? I'm just gonna let him cook. I'm just gonna let him do that. <laughs> yes, uh, I would think. I, also, I'd say it's more of a, a no hitter. Sorry, but the missed question at the beginning. Not to editorialize too much. <laughs> I am just the lowly moderator of this. You missed what you walked someone in the first inning, but then you yeah. struck out. You know, and didn't give up any hits the rest of the way. Just, yeah, sorry. Oh, I don't oh, think there's we, been a. We're shutting off monitors for sports oh, stuff. That's pretty good, Jason. I don't think That's there's a been a. Bit. I don't think there's been a perfect. That would be a big one. Is a a perfect Cody's Noties performance overall. Someone yeah, that gets has, all that's of the points. Happened. Yeah, that has I, happened. With everybody yeah, else getting no points. Oh, mm, I don't know about that. Well, that's I, not what a perfect a shutout. Is. Well, you know what I mean. A shutout yeah. would be. Mm. That would be. We in the podcast. the metaphor gets a little bit tougher there. We're done. It's that's the. Yeah. Okay. So to speak. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Cody, for a wonderful edition of Cody's Noties. Thank you, listener, for tuning in yet again. Uh, go to Trilon.org to get tickets to the movies we've been talking about here, including a series on Ernest Borgnine, Ernest Borgnine, Ernest Borgnine and one on Sam Peckinpah later in May. And, of course, volunteer screenings throughout, uh, regular, you know, off-season, off-schedule type programming. And check them out. You can rent out the Trilon. You can buy merch. There are ways to give the Trilon your money that they deserve, I believe. So check them out at Trilon.org. If you're not really into going to websites like some weirdo, go to social media. Find them at 
Trilon Cinema and find us while you're there at Trilon or excuse me, Jesus, Trilove Podcast. Um, don't find me anywhere, uh, but if you wanted to, I'm Jason uh, and I'm on Twitter at Nintendo Fist. Thank you. That's right. Uh, and Jason already gave that plug uh, at the top of the episode, but the, he's going to be on another podcast. She's going to be on another podcast. You can listen to that. Uh, do your part. Buy a quesarito. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And my name is Aaron. You can find me at my changed handle on Twitter at Dakotis Noties God. Oh, Jesus. <clears throat> oh, my. What a bunch. Big tough ones, eh? Here you are with a handful of holes, a thumb up your ass, and a big grin to pass the time of day with. Mm-hmm.